Hello, and welcome to Wealth of Knowledge. I'm your host, Antonio Barbera, and today on the show, we're going to address everything you need to know about filing your taxes. We're in full tax season right now, and I have two experts here to help break things down. My co-host this week is U.S. News Senior Editor for Personal Finance, Susanna Snyder. Susanna, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. And our guest is Kelly Phillips-Erb. Kelly is a tax lawyer, co-founder and managing attorney at Herb Law, senior contributor at Forbes, and author of several books, as well as the popular Tax Girl blog. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us and offering your expertise. Thank you for having me. So first things first, we've had a full tax year under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. So I think a lot of people are wondering what filing changes will impact them the most this tax season. You know, what what does the tax reform mean for my personal situation? Uh, Obviously, you can't address every individual situation, but what are some of the big changes that filers are going to see? Um, Well, I think one of the things that folks are going to notice first off the bat, if they're paper filing, is that the 1040 looks different. Um, They were promised a new postcard size tax return, and we ended up with a postcard-ish size tax return. Um, It's about two-thirds of a page, and then there's the the second page is also about two-thirds of a normal page, um, which sounds, I guess, kind of appealing, except that we also have new forms and schedules. What they've done really is they've moved off some of the the pages and the... um, the line items that you're used to seeing are now new forms and new form schedules. So there's six new form schedules that you'll see. So you're used to the schedule A, schedule B. Now there's schedules one through six as well. So if you're a paper filing, that's probably the first thing you're going to notice. Another thing you might notice is that folks who are used to um, filing the 1040EZ won't find the 1040EZ anymore. Um, There is no 1040-EZ and there's no 1040-A. There's just a regular form 1040. It's all being consolidated into one form. So again, I think one of the things that's immediately different is that it just looks different. Um, In terms of filing, I think that, uh, you know, we we do know that there are lower rates. I don't know how much you're going to notice that when you're going through TurboTax or talking to your preparer. But you will notice the loss, I think, of the personal exemptions. Um, That's something that especially I'm a mom. I have three kids. I'm used to seeing those uh, uh, credits show up, those exemption amounts, and they're not there anymore. Um, What compensates for that, of course, is that there is a larger standard deduction. So um, how much difference you see really is going to depend on who you are. Sure. So, you know, you mentioned the loss of, of personal exemptions and you know, I kind of want to have a moment of silence for all the deductions that went away this year. <laughs> Agreed. Um, yeah. So, you know, I <laughs> said goodbye to, you know, unlimited state and local tax deductions, uh, the alimony deduction, the kind of broader casualty loss deduction. Do you think filers will, will miss any deductions, you know, more than others or should be really aware of something that maybe they claimed in the past and they aren't going to be able to claim this year? Oh, yeah. I think uh, folks are going to be really unhappy with the loss of the home office expense deduction. Um, It's one of those deductions that impacts some filers more than others. But even folks that only get a little bit of benefit from it, I don't think are really braced for it. I think it's going to be something that's going to annoy them, especially (laughs) because the amount of work that typically if you don't use the simplified office home office deduction, the amount of work that goes into calculating that deduction for the amount of deduction that it is, is quite significant. And, and I say that as somebody who's taken advantage of it, 
because you have to calculate the square footage of your house and you have to calculate the office and do that math and then add in all the other stuff like the utility. So it's a lot of work. And to do all that work this year, maybe counting on the deduction only to find out that you really didn't need to do it, I think um, is gonna annoy some filers, whether it actually impacts their bottom line significantly or not is another issue. Um, I do think mileage deductions are going to be another one of those, uh, the unreimbursed job expenses. I kind of think that that whole section is really what's going to make a lot of taxpayers um, rethink a lot of choices, including their employment. Absolutely. Kelly, what do you suggest for the person trying to file on their own? Is it doable for simple tax situations? Do not recommend it at all? Uh, you know, are there certain levels where you say maybe you should consult a professional? You know, I get asked this question a lot. Um, I think it depends on who you are and what your personal situation is. I don't think there's a like a, a threshold number. There's not like a dollar amount. I don't think it matters how many kids you have. I think it's a lot of things. I think it's um, what kind of time you have. Uh, what's your level of um, frustration? Like if you're one of those people, I remember the, I forget the particular software provider, but there used to be an ad where they threw pencils at the ceiling. <laughs> like if you're that kind of person, then, you know, maybe your time is and your level of uh, mental health is worth investing a few dollars and getting a preparer. Um, anybody who's going through a, a significant life change, whether it's getting married, getting divorced, buying a house, you know, depending on which state you live in these days with the with property tax deductions, um, all of, if, if you're, if you're making big changes, you know, yeah, you can do your own return. But one of the things that I see uh, taxpayers do is that they tend to under deduct. Um, and so I would be worried that you're missing out, like by not paying someone to give you advice um, that maybe you're paying, um, you're missing out. I also think freelancers, independent contractors, they get really tentative sometimes, you know, is this deductible? Is it not? A lot of the software providers, they have really good interview uh, software capabilities, so they can step you through some of those questions. But kind of the broader picture and then kind of drilling down what you get beyond what kinds of things can I generally deduct than the specifics. I think a tax preparer is really beneficial for that. And I also think a tax preparer can help you make the little adjustments during the year to keep you from having the big surprise uh, come tax time. And withholding is a great example. Like you would have been told ahead of time, you may need to tweak this um, so that when you start filing in February or March, you're not, you know, alarmed because the picture doesn't look like you thought it would. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like tax planning, not just sort of tax preparing at tax season is such a huge component of this. Um, yes. And along those lines, you know, something... Um, I've been hearing a lot about from CPAs I talk to and reading a lot about in the news is that uh, taxpayers who may be neglected to adjust their withholding this year might be surprised by smaller refunds or maybe that they owe taxes when maybe they never had a tax bill um, that they you know had to write a check for at the end of the year before. So you know I'm curious um, if you've seen this happening and what people should know if they file their taxes and think, oh my gosh, where did my refund go this year? What happened. <laughs> right. Well, statistically, refunds are down a little bit as, as the kickoff of the season. And um, it's funny because I've seen a lot of people trying to come up with explanations for this. And, and it should be noted that overall filing numbers are down. I think that taxpayers are a little tentative 
um, going into this tax season, you know, you can you can owe some of that to the shutdown. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think people are kind of nervous about what's going to happen. I do think there's that little bit of unknown, and sometimes it's easier to hang on to the idea that maybe I won't owe more, or you know, maybe my refund will be similar. So I don't know that the numbers that we're seeing right now are, are going to be representative of what we're going to see by the end of the season. But I do think that there is a lot of, um, you know, there was a lot of confusion early on. The withholding tables didn't come out in 2018 until mid-February. So employers weren't withholding the the right amounts. And and they tried to make some of those changes. And IRS kept telling people, you know, use the withholding calculator, run the numbers, see if you're on track. And quite frankly, you know, I I get it. I'm a tax professional. Like I was saying that too, but I also, again, I mentioned earlier, I'm a parent. Um, I work, life is really busy. You know, those, the withholding tables came out at when hockey tournaments were going on (laughs) in my house. Like this isn't something that people are scrambling to run to let me check my numbers. It was something that I think people kept thinking they'd fix later. Um, And that can be hard to do. Yeah. That withholding uh, calculator too was a little complicated. It wasn't like a two minute sort of thing, right? It took a few steps to figure out what you needed to do. So it wasn't like, ah, you know, yeah, it'll take IRS, me five minutes. Actually, it's, it's, I, I don't envy them this year because they got a lot of flack with respect to that. And they, they walk this really dicey line, right? Because they have the taxpayers who are screaming, this is too hard. <laughs> it's too complicated. I can't figure it out. And then you have my folks, the <laughs> tax professionals yelling, don't make it too simple because you're going to mislead taxpayers. <laughs> sure. If they think that this is easier than it is, then you're going to give them a false sense of security. So I do think IRS was trying their best under um, some pretty complicated uh, set of facts. Kelly, I want to discuss side hustles, part-time jobs, and your taxes. You know, these uh, side gigs are getting more and more popular, more and more ubiquitous, and they're going to take over uh, likely more and more take over the workforce. So I'm wondering what information do you have? What advice do you have on how they should be reported to minimize tax impact, but stay above the law? Well, I think, you know, early on, you want to make sure you're keeping excellent records. I mean, that's something that we always tell taxpayers anyway, but especially on the side hustle side. And um, actually, I, I was uh, I was pinged the other day on Facebook by a friend who had a situation where there was a, um, a side hustle gig where the numbers did not, uh, her numbers were not the same as the person who was issuing her 1099. And this was a big deal, like how much was actually paid to that person. And I think you see this more now than before, because lots of people who might not have been receiving 1099s are now getting them. Um, and you know, when you get your W-2, I mean, how many people at the end of the day look at their pay stub with the W-2 and compare them, right? Um, because you assume that your payroll company or your employer is is keeping the the, the books and keeping the right numbers. Um, side hustles can be different because you're getting your income a lot of times from a lot of different sources. And so it's even more important that you keep track of the numbers too, because you know, there are situations, bans, for example, where there may be um, one 1099 issued to a group of people, but it really is issued to one taxpayer, and then you have to divvy it up. Um, And that's where a lot of that confusion comes in. I've seen the same thing with painters, um, any kind of like groups of people, because a lot of these side hustles, you know, we, we tend to think of an Uber driver, of course, as a solo, right? As a singular person. But a lot of the the side hustles are shared. So dog walkers, painters, like 
And so when those forms are getting issued, they may be issued to one taxpayer, but apply to a lot of taxpayers. And I do think that the record keeping can be really burdensome on both ends. So, um, you know, to start keeping records really early on is important. And on the flip side, it also helps with deductions. If you're claiming mileage or, or some other deduction, knowing exactly how many trips you made or um, exactly how many gigs you played is really important. So I think, you know, when you switch from a full-time employment gig or, or even a part-time employment gig where you have a W-2 to this different kind of animal where you're kind of tasked with uh, keeping up with everything on your own, you're responsible for reporting your income and, and reporting your own expenses. I do think it's just a, a little bit of a different world. So you have to kind of just switch into this different mindset of I need to keep really good records. Um, and of course, as we kind of alluded to earlier on too, there's a little bit of planning that goes into taxes generally. It's even more important, you know, when, when you have uh, income that might not be regular. Now there's so many different tools out there that help you file your taxes. There's the TurboTax, the H&R Blocks, the private tax preparers. There's a whole list that we could run through, but I want to ask you a few of sort of different categories and what you think is the best tool for that particular category. Feel free to add categories uh, you know, as we go along here, but what is the best way for people to file if they're looking to do so for free? Well, IRS actually has a great partnership. It's called Free File. If you go to irs.gov, which is the official IRS website, um, you can find free file options. And those are partnerships that the IRS has coordinated. And that allows you to use different software providers like your TurboTax that you mentioned um, and, and, use, and file for free just through the IRS partnership. So I would say if you're looking to file for free, and use software, absolutely check out FreeFile. Um, it's underutilized. In fact, the National Taxpayer Advocate just released its um, annual report. And one of the things she said is, you know, we're, we're not using FreeFile enough. Uh, it, I think the threshold is between 50 and $60,000, depending on who you are. Um, and I believe they think that there's something like 70 or 80% is the number that, that I think it is that uh, of taxpayers that should be eligible to use FreeFile. So a lot of folks should be able to use it and don't. Um, if you want in-person for free, the IRS also offers VITA services, V-I-T-A, um, which is Volunteer Income Tax Assistance. You can find those centers on the IRS website as well. And those are volunteer income tax preparers that help. Um, often it's low-income tax uh, taxpayers, but also seniors and military uh, prepare returns for free. And how about, you may have, you may have covered this one actually now, but... How about if you're trying uh, the best way to file when you're looking for the most security uh, of your information, let's say? Oh, that's tricky though, right? Because um, <laughs> there's a lot of factors that go into that because you can have a, a wonderful tax software program, for example, and if you're filing from Starbucks on an, you know, <laughs> an insecure um uh, connection, then your data is not very safe. I mean, <laughs> the best way to file is to not file from your local Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> but you'd be surprised. Um, no, I think that one of the things you want to do is make sure you're using a reputable company, obviously. So whether it is uh, software or whether it's an in-person preparer, again, one of the nice things about the free file, um, if you're looking for the free filing option security, is that IRS has um, certain standards that those folks have to, to live up to. And so for that you know, with, with respect to that, you can be assured on some level that your your data is safe. Um, again, you you want to use 
just common sense though with respect to um, it, otherwise making sure that your data is safe and use secure connections, good passwords, uh, don't you know, fall for scams when folks are then sending you emails back about your tax, uh, your tax software. And how about the best way to file if you're trying to get your refund uh, as quickly as possible? So here's the thing. No, no matter what uh, software folks tell you and tax preparers tell you, there's no specific preparer that can get you your refund faster than anybody else. And if they tell you that they are, then they're lying. Um, but if you e-file, that will speed your refund along. And if you use direct deposit, that will also speed your refund along. So the combination of those two things, um, the IRS says that you should have your refund within 21 days. Anecdotally, most folks have them. If they have an easy situation with no flags, you're, you're looking at like 10 days. Um, so that's pretty fast. If someone tells you that they can get it, you know, same day or um, something like that, you should be a little a little skeptical because again, nobody has a, a, you know, there's no golden key from one preparer to the IRS that the rest, everybody else just doesn't know about. Uh, now, if you're a procrastinator and I'm not going to uh, mention any names of who may or may not have been doing this on April 14th, three or four years ago, but if you are a procrastinator and you find yourself Googling how to file taxes on April 14th, what sort of advice would you offer? And let me grab my pen here real quick. One second. File an extension. Um, I file one every year. There's no shame in it. There's no increased audit risk. A lot of folks actually, um, tax preparers because of timing, but also small business owners who might be waiting on certain kinds of forms, or they might be waiting for their company tax returns to be prepared first. Um, they need to use an extension. Extensions are free. Um, you don't get penalized as long as you have a, a timely extension. You have to remember, though, that an extension is an extension of the time to file and not the time to pay. So if you are going to owe money, you want to make a payment when you make the extension. So you're going to guess, like, you know, last year I owed $1,000. I'm pretty sure it's going to be the same this year. Write the check to the IRS so that you don't get dinged. But then you get six months extension. So you have until October to file. So absolutely, I'm, I always tell my, my taxpayers, it is so much better to file an extension and have a correct timely filed return later than a rushed incomplete return on April 15th. If you work with a tax preparer, would they typically charge you to file the extension paperwork? Or is that something you could have them do for free for you? What happens in that situation? Well, you know what? It depends on the person and the mm -hmm. timing. To be fair, if and I don't do returns anymore at my office, but if someone came to me on April 15, when I'm still trying to get other paying clients out the door and asked me to file forms for them for free, um, I don't know that I would give them the thumbs up on that. <laughs> um, it's so easy to do on your own. You can go to the IRS website and download a paper form. You can e-file it using software. And there are companies that you can pay to do them for you. They'll actually submit it. And then, you know, you have the peace of mind because they give you the, the piece of paper that says it's been accepted. So um, I don't think it's fair to expect your tax preparer to do it for free, but some of them may, especially if you're a good client and they know that, you know, you're good for it later and you're not going to complain about the bill come October. Sure. And maybe if you ask on March 15th instead of April yeah, that's 15th. Yeah, that's <laughs> Now I'm going to take it one step further. Uh, you know, I need to ask the tough questions here. What can you do if you forget to file entirely? Now we're saying a few weeks down the road and you hear the word tax and you just sort of jump out of 
your chair and you realize you completely spaced on doing this entirely, what is one to do? File anyway. Um, I, there's no, you know, it's funny, but people tend to, when they realize they made a mistake, they tend to make more mistakes by just avoiding the the, the mistake they made in the first place. Like they, they put it away and think, well, uh, I'll worry about this later. And that's a bad idea because penalties for IRS um, are based on the time that's passed. So if you let a month go by and then you realize you didn't file, then you file your return. And if it's the first and only time it's ever happened, you can even petition the IRS for first time penalty abatement and send them a, basically you send them a letter and say, I screwed up, I'm sorry, can you cut me some slack? And they say, you've never done this before, so sure. Um, so that is an option. Um, but you know, if you're, if you're chronically late and there are people who are, um, you're, gonna, you're gonna get a penalty for not filing and there's a penalty for not paying. And the further along in time that you go, the worse that's going to be, right? So it's better to, even if you can't pay, like, so let's say, you know, that the maybe, and I'm not suggesting this is happening, but let's say you didn't file on purpose because you knew that you were going to owe money and you're a little scared, um, file the return anyway without the payment. Um, it's so much better because at least that way you've, a, got the statute of limitations running, which is a really good thing. So that kind of shortens the period of time for IRS to come after you later, at least for the filing piece. Um, and you've, you've, you've made a baby step towards, you know, becoming compliant. So I would say if, if you're late, file anyway. Um, it's better than not filing at all. Like with any tax advice, it's like ignoring it doesn't make it go away, unfortunately. Exactly. <laughs> it's like yeah. credit card debt or something. It sticks around. <laughs> well, and what some people don't realize is that if you don't file at all, so if you don't file the 1040, the statute of limitations never runs. So IRS could come back in 20 years and say, you remember that year you didn't file? We're coming after you. Whereas if you file, at least you've got the, the, the clock ticking, right? So that's a better option than not filing at all. So even if you can't pay, you should file. Absolutely. I've had uh, CPAs tell me, you know, even if maybe you're not required to file in a certain year, it might be a good idea because it gets the clock ticking on that statute of limitations. I, I agree with that advice, mm -hmm. especially if you have a relatively easy return. Why not file? Go ahead and, and, and start the statute running. So what happens if you are audited? You know, I know it's not terribly common, but I think people are terrified of the idea of the IRS knocking on the door, asking them a few questions. <laughs> so what would you do if, if you are one of the percentage of Americans who are audited? How can you handle it? Well, there's actually, there's two kinds of audits. Um, there's the in-person audit that you're referring to, which hopefully doesn't start with a knock at the door. <laughs> that would be really scary. Um, and then also a paper audit. The paper audits are the, uh, are the more common, um, and what that is, that tends to happen during what we call correspondence season, which normal people just call summer, uh, but that's <laughs> once, <laughs> once the filing season has stopped and um, IRS has sort of sorted through things, and then if they have questions, they start sending out letters, and they'll say, we disagree with you here, we need more information here. If you get one of those, um, answer it. I mean, that those are typically pretty easy. And they're typically not tricky um, in terms of, you know, IRS isn't trying to see if they can get you, right? Like sometimes they're just like the social security doesn't make a number doesn't make sense or our 1099 says this number, did you transpose a number? Um, so that's the easy one, right? The, the paper audit um, in person can be a little more tricky. Typically, if you're getting an in-person audit, it's because there's more than one question. Um, so a paper audit doesn't make sense. Um, and you can do those on your own. 
I recommend using a tax pro. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is just because uh, you, your tax professional, you know, they don't have skin in the game. They're not emotional um, and they're not going to over answer. That's the thing that I, I find most frustrating with my taxpayers is that they over answer because they are scared. Right. So the IRS will say, like, I'm looking at your Schedule C and I don't understand why you put six hundred dollars in rent because we see that you've only paid two hundred. And that's when instead of giving them the explanation of why you why you put six hundred, you say, yeah, but there was that time my brother gave me $5,000 and I didn't report it, but um, I didn't put that on here either. Like, because you get overly nervous and you just say too much. Um, so I think sometimes having a tax professional around allows that person just to answer the questions that the IRS wants to know um, and doesn't open up additional cans of worms. And most audits are targeted, um, like in-person in audits, they're targeted, which um, means that they've seen something that on your return that just doesn't make sense. That doesn't mean that they think you're a bad person or that you've done something terrible, which could be the case, but it's probably not. Um, in most, most taxpayers, it's just that the numbers don't make sense or they've detected a pattern that's different from the years before. So like you've always reported on your Schedule C a $20,000 um, profit from your business. And one year you have a $50,000 dip and they're like, wait a minute, what's going on here. And then if in the second year you have another loss um, and maybe let's say three, cause we always say three is kind of the charm. After the third year, most people who are losing money would not continue the same pattern of, of business practices. So then IRS is a little suspicious if you're always reporting a loss. So those kinds of things, IRS see something that's just a little out of the ordinary and they have a question for you. I'm gonna get out of the uh, depths of despair now and, and go to the positivity <laughs> of a refund. So this is more more of an opinion question for, for both of you. What wisdom do you have for what to do with that refund? Do you save it? Do you invest it? Do you spend it? Uh, I don't know if uh, the listeners or if any of you are fans of the show Parks and Rec, where there's the one day a year where you treat yourself. So I'm wondering <laughs> if uh, if you have any uh, any advice for the good people about how to handle that that sudden flux of cash. I can go first on this one. Um, you really have to audit your financial situation. So do you have credit card debt to pay off, high interest debt to pay off? Do you have a fully stocked emergency fund? Are you saving for any goals? And if all of those are good, then maybe um, there might be something a little bit more frivolous you can spend on. I think a good thing to do with a tax refund, because again, it's not free money, is your money, um, is to maybe take 10% of it and buy yourself a nice dinner or like a nice new pair of pants. But the rest of it should really go, that 90% should go to a goal that you have outlined that makes sense with your financial situation. Again, debt payoff is probably a big thing people need to do, but they also need to think about savings, other financial goals, smart ways to utilize extra cash. Kelly, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this as I well. Mean, my my, my uh, advice is pretty similar. It's um, probably sounds more lawyer lawyerly in that I say it depends. You know, that's the big um big lawyer answer. It does depend. I think it depends, as you mentioned, on your financial situation. If you think you're going to owe taxes next year and you're chronically bad at making estimated payments, um, you might not even want to get cash in hand. You might just want to roll that over um, to cover your first uh, estimated payment for the next year. 
Um, but you know what? It, you know, former IRS uh, Commissioner Koskinen was fond of saying that this is the biggest check that some taxpayers will see all year. Um, so it's really hard when you talk about uh, setting goals to discipline your spending. If, if you're not used to getting a big check and then all of a sudden you have $5,000 and it's burning a hole in your pocket. Um, I think your advice is actually great advice that, you know, you should do something fun with part of the money if that's the case, because then it makes you feel a little better about paying off the credit card. Um, I have another friend who uses hers to prepay rent every year just to get some of that out of the out of the way it just for the next few months she knows and then summer's coming so if she wants to start planning vacation she doesn't have to worry about rent um so i think it, it really depends on your your personal situation but i do love the idea of of earmarking just a little bit of it to so treat yourself i i'm a big <laughs> parks and rec fan so i appreciate that reference now we talked a little bit earlier um about protecting your personal information from fraudulent activity. So I, I'm going to tweak this question slightly. What are maybe what are some of the most common ways you've seen, um, you know, people's personal information has been infiltrated during tax season, or, or common mistakes that that people make um, when filing? Well, so you know, people get really, really wrapped up in social security numbers because they think that social security numbers are the only piece of information that they have that anybody needs. Um, and what is actually used to get whether it's uh, false tax refunds in your name or stealing information from your tax return in order to open up credit card accounts, those kinds of things, is personally identifiable information that you often get from other sources. Uh, social media is is one that I'm I'm constantly telling people. I'm I love those uh, those tests and quizzes. Like I love that they asked me which Disney princess I would be because it's clearly Belle. Um, but <laughs> I I do also know that when they're asking me as part of this quiz to tell them you know where I first met my husband, what my first pet's name is, and the street that I grew up on. Um, those are also password security questions that people use. So I would say in terms of identity theft, uh, you know, be really guarded with your personally identifiable information all year long. Don't think about it just at tax time. Um, and again, we also mentioned earlier that you want to make sure that your uh, Wi-Fi connection is secure. That is problematic. Um, and actually, I had a really great conversation with the former IRS CI chief, uh, criminal investigations um, chief. And one of the ways that they found out that uh, tax returns so back in the day when, when tax refunds were almost like gang-like, in, especially in parts of the Southeast, there were, and this is a fascinating story but um, that I didn't believe until we had long conversations about it, but they would uh, go around in vans and try to pick up people's Wi-Fi. And that's how they were stealing like massive amounts of information. They would literally park outside of Starbucks. And then they were saying that there were a couple of raids that were done early on by law enforcement in certain areas where they were assuming that these vans with these people in it were doing something illegal. And they assumed it was drugs. Um, and they, you know, they wouldn't find any drugs. And it took them a while to figure it out. But they would then take these laptops back to hotel rooms and just file massive numbers of, of fake tax returns. And this was going on, especially in places like Atlanta, but it was, um, it was insecure data. I mean, that's exactly, you know, using public Wi-Fi, whether it's in a library or uh, Starbucks, not just to file tax returns, but to check the bank balance and, and do your, your business records right there. You know, when you're sitting down, you have a few minutes and say you're uploading your cre credit card information. So it's just, I would say to be really careful about not only what you're putting online, 
but um, you know how you're sharing information generally and make sure those connections are, are secure. That's absolutely nuts. And I know I've written about um, ways you can imperil your, your financial health online and the things people say about their children, which could, you know, compromise their kids' identities, you know, p- taking pictures of their driver's license, their credit cards, all not a good idea on social media. Um, so to pivot a little bit to, you know, thinking about working with a professional tax preparer and making sure you're looking out for, for the designations or the kinds of education that, you know, designate somebody who knows what they're doing and is, you know, on the up and up. And what should people be looking for? Should they be looking for a CPA or an enrolled agent, a tax attorney? You know, how can they make sense of all of those different credentials? Well, I think you definitely need to check out credentials, but don't get um, kind of uh, sucked in by them. Like, don't assume that somebody who has a lot of uh, letters after their name is so much smarter than somebody else. Um, We joke about this all the time, but I'm a JD. I'm a JD LLM. My husband is also an attorney, so he's a JD. You do not want him doing your tax return. Most attorneys don't have to demonstrate tax proficiency. It's usually not a question on the bar. Um, In contrast, uh, EAs and CPAs are going to have to demonstrate competency of tax on an exam. Um, but just because you're not a CPA, you're maybe you're just, uh, you know, you're an accountant without the credential doesn't mean that you're still not a good tax preparer. So I think it's important to ask questions about credentials and ask what they mean and what that person knows. But I think it's just more when you're interviewing, which I think you should totally do because it's a professional that you're hiring. Right. So you should ask them questions to make sure it's a good fit. Um, you know, you want to ask them questions that not only shows you that they understand tax compliance and tax competency, but that they understand your personal situation. So if you're a small business owner that files a Schedule C, um, you know, the fact that your guy knows, uh, you know, how to do repatriation backwards and forwards doesn't help you. So I would ask questions, say, this is my situation. What do you know about rentals? Um, Do you file Schedule Cs? Um, My wife is a non-citizen. Do you deal with FATCA issues? And those are the kinds of questions I would ask. So I think it's important. The credentials are important. I do think it shows a certain amount of dedication to tax that you, you know, you have your CPA, um, that you have your your tax attorney license, or that you um, are an EA. But don't get kind of blinded by by all the letters. Make sure that that person knows what they're talking about and that they're current. Because that's something else that that I'm seeing, especially um, with the law changing as quickly as it does. You know, the the for example, the Section 199A um, guidance just came out, and you know, it came out in tax season. If you if you're one of those folks that needs to know uh, if, if you're going to be using 199A on your return, you want to know that the person who's doing your return has read it and understands it, and and has some some form of understanding. I think that. Um, competency and just being contemporaneous is just really important. And again, one of the things about CPAs and EAs in particular, uh, they're required to also do continuing education. Um, Attorneys are too, but again, if I wanted to go take my continuing education on evidence or DUI law, um, I could and still be a tax attorney. So just make sure that you don't get kind of uh, thrown by, by the letters and that you ask the right questions. Sure. So speaking of good questions, I'm curious to hear what kinds of good questions about tax reform, about tax law this year that you've been getting from 
clients that you work with or people who read your writing? Are there any good ones that are worth kind of sharing and answering here? I get a lot of angry ones. Yeah, well, folks that are mad because their their deductions are are disappearing. Right. Um, no, you know what? Some of the I actually think one of the good things about um, and and some of my my peers may may not agree with me, but one of the good things about about tax reform and and the law changing is that it it does force folks into discussions about their business um, in particular that they might not have otherwise. Um, and so, so one section where I'm seeing this a lot, and I kind of alluded to it earlier when I was talking about the home office deduction is um, folks who maybe have been employees for a really long time and maybe they're not happy being an employee, but it was a really safe bet and the numbers made sense. And they were thinking about going out on their own and doing something a little different, maybe working as an independent contractor in the same space. Um, and now that their uh, job uh, expenses or their unreimbursed job expenses are being taken away from them, maybe those perks of being an employee weren't as great as they used to be. So now they're thinking about becoming an entrepreneur. So I think those kinds of, of questions that I'm getting, like, should I incorporate? Should I start a business? Should I rent out my space since I'm a professional and I'm worried about whether or not I'm going to get sucked in the, on the cap, the 199A? Um, so those kinds of questions I find really interesting because I think that in some cases they're starting dialogues about how you're running your business and what your future is on the career scene that maybe you needed to have anyway. And tax is sort of forcing you into that discussion a little faster. Um, I always say, you know, you, you don't want the tax tail to wag the dog. Mm -hmm. So I don't tell people to make big life decisions based on tax. But some of these, these questions um, and changes are, I think, uh, I, I think some of these questions are encouraging people to explore opportunities that they might have been thinking about before, but weren't sure if the timing is right. And maybe this was the little push they needed. As we finish up here, Kelly, any final words of wisdom for tax filers as they gather all their paperwork together? I think kind of the, the overarching theme this year is uh, to be patient. Um, IRS is, you know, they're, they're backed up from the shutdown. The, um, they've estimated that they received 5,000 letters during the, or pieces of correspondence during the shutdown that they're going to have to, you know, figure out how to tackle um, phone phone waits are always an issue at IRS, but now they're longer. Um, so I would say be patient with IRS as they kind of work through. There's new law, new tax forms. There's a lot going on. And also be patient with your tax preparer because they're still picking this up too, right? So as guidance keeps coming out and as we're learning new things about how the IRS is going to interpret um, the laws that maybe could have been written a little better um, in 2017, um, you know, that are affecting people now, I, I would just say, you know, be patient. I think that's kind of going to be the, the, the big buzzword for tax season this year is that you, you need to exercise, like, you know, maybe your refund's going to take a little longer. Um, maybe your tax repair is going to take a little longer to get things together. So I, I would just say be patient and, um, and not get frustrated and, and uh, kind of know that everybody's on the same team. Um, I am adversarial with IRS a lot in my work because uh, you know I, I represent taxpayers, but uh, ta the people that I've worked with at IRS are they're, you know they're they're super and they're they're just doing their jobs too. So um, I would just say you know be patient and understanding and 
and and understand that you know you get through this and and then you get a year or so to breathe depending on whether you filed that extension or not (laughs) i want to thank our guest kelly phillips herb for coming on the show kelly where can our listeners find you on social media if they want to learn more um, you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, all the, the usual places at Tax Girl. Simple enough. Uh, and Susanna, thank you for coming on as well. Where can our, listener, our listeners find you on social media to read up on personal finance advice? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Suze Snyder, which is S-U-S-S-N-I-D-E-R. And a thank you to our listeners. Please subscribe to our podcast, rate it, comment on it, and if you have personal finance questions, related to debt, saving money, loans, taxes, or credit that you'd like answered on future shows, please email wealthofknowledge at usnews.com. We'll review your emails, and we'll try to answer a few on the next personal finance episode. If you'd like to read up on personal finance information, including some great work by Susanna, check out money.usnews.com slash personal finance, where we have all sorts of advice on taxes, spending, budgeting, banking, and much more. Before I sign off, I'd like to announce something very exciting we have coming out in the next few weeks. U.S. News and World Report Executive Chairman Eric Gertler and President and CEO Bill Holliber recently returned from the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, and starting next Monday, we'll be publishing interviews they conducted with a wide range of leaders in business, media, and politics through Wealth of Knowledge as part of our Leaders Talk series. I'll be inviting Eric and Bill on the show to introduce each conversation they had and we will publish these episodes on Mondays and Thursdays for the next few weeks. The interviews are excellent with top leaders from JP Morgan, SAP, PwC, Twitter, CVS Health, and many more, and it's a privilege to be able to broadcast them through Wealth of Knowledge, so please look out for those episodes starting next Monday. As always, thanks for listening to Wealth of Knowledge. I'm Antonio Barbera. See you next week.